and she just launched anal musk all over me. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Raw Safari. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Raw Safari Podcast. I'm so excited to have you back for this episode, which is the first of a two-part series about some of the amazing animals at the Beardsley Zoo in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Beardsley Zoo is the only AZA-accredited zoo in the state of Connecticut, making it a very important place for people in the state to connect with some amazing animals at an institution that is being held to the highest standards possible. I want to start this episode by saying a huge thank you to Lisa Clare, who coordinated my visit and interviews and could not have been more supportive. Thank you so much, Lisa. Before I tell you about what to expect from the next two weeks, I wanted to remind you about the ways you can find me outside of the podcast. My Instagram, which is what launched this whole project, is at Rossafari. Rossafari.com is where to go for links to all of my additional social media pages and contains a link to my Patreon page. Patreon subscribers not only get cool additional content, but also help ensure that I can continue to make this podcast for you. Please consider stopping by patreon.com slash and becoming a monthly contributor. Also, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, hopefully with five stars, and leave a review. Thanks. Over the next two weeks, I'm going to be taking you behind the scenes at Beardsley Zoo, where I had the incredible pleasure of talking to three animal care specialists, J.T. Warner, Chris Barker, and Bethany Thatcher. Chris and Bethany take care of the big cats at the zoo, including Ammer Tigers and Ammer Leopards, and their interviews are coming up next week. But today, I'm going to try something a little different. This episode is going to be an introduction to one specific species— Maned wolves. Maned wolves aren't super common at zoos, and I feel like they are fairly misunderstood even by people who do get to see them. As such, this episode is going to start with me giving you an overview of the species. Once I'm done with that, we'll get to a short interview with JT, who will go into more details both about the species and about the three individuals that live at Beardsley. After the interview, I'm going to come back and tell you a little bit more about a cool experience I got to have after the recorder was turned off. So, what exactly is a maned wolf? Well, a maned wolf is the largest canid found in South America, and the best way to describe it is to picture a red fox that is the size of a large wolf, but with really long, almost stilt-like legs. The fur is a similar red to a red fox, but often appears to have a golden hue to it, especially in the right sunlight. You're definitely going to want to take the time to look at some pictures of this gorgeous creature when you get the chance. Maned wolves are omnivores that prefer solitary living except during mating season. Ecologically, they provide an important service by helping disperse seeds that get stuck in their long fur. Of course, that is not what maned wolves are best known for. No, the thing they are best known for is their scent. Maned wolves smell. 
JT will share some stories about this, but Maine wolves have a similar scent to skunks or foxes, only it seems even more potent to me. Of course, this is a smell that is similar to that of marijuana, and I can't count the amount of times I have heard people at zoos marveling at the fact that someone was clearly smoking a joint right by the maned wolf exhibit. Now, I'm not saying that has never happened, but odds are you're just smelling the maned wolves. This pungent scent is the main form of communication used by maned wolves, though they do have a loud bark sound they can produce as well. Maned wolves are crepuscular animals, meaning they are most active at dawn and dusk. Also, worth mentioning, crepuscular may be the single hardest word for me to pronounce. I had to do this so many times. Crepuscular, crepuscular, crepuscular. Anyway, when maned wolves are active, they mostly spend their time trying to find food, which includes rodents, rabbits, birds, and fish, as you might expect, but also a very large amount of vegetable matter. JT will fill you in on more details about the diet of maned wolves shortly. Perhaps the most interesting tidbit I discovered while researching maned wolves is that they often live in a symbiotic relationship with leafcutter ants. For reasons unknown to science, maned wolves will often defecate on the nests of leafcutter ants. The leafcutter ants will use the excrement as fertilizer for their gardens, but discard and disperse the seeds found within, thus regrowing a major food source for the maned wolves. Nature is truly amazing. Okay, now that you have a basic idea of what maned wolves are, I'm going to invite you to Beardsley Zoo with me. This interview was done outside with masks on. You'll notice mine is especially thick. Thanks for understanding that my voice is a little distorted. We were standing right to the side of the maned wolf enclosure, and at a few points, one of them wandered over to see what we were up to. Enjoy my interview with JT1. Cool. All right. So, um, tell me, who are you, and uh, and where where are we, and and what do you do, and all that good stuff. Uh, my name is uh, JT Warner. I'm one of the animal care specialists here at Connecticut's Beardsley Zoo in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Um, I am in the hoofstock slash uh, Pampas Plains track of the zoo, so I help take care of everything from Andean condors to three different types of wolves, uh, giant anteaters, peccary, uh, deer, uh, a couple of small birds, and the prairie dogs. That's really awesome. Um, how did you get here? What did you do as far as education, and is this your first zoo, or have you been doing this Yeah, this is my first, uh, like, zoo. Um... I uh, I went to college originally. I wanted to be a marine biologist, so I wanted to like uh, research the sharks and everything. And then I found out how uh, grants work, and that uh, I really don't like research. <laughs> I found that out very quickly, um, so I kind of switched my track to do. Um, uh, I was kind of in the pre med track because I was thinking about becoming an RN or a PA, and I had to do a. Um, um, a service project my senior year in college down in Florida, and there was a um, basically like a cat reserve uh, nearby in Florida. And I'm like, well, if I have to do 100 hours of service project, you know, I'm going to do it someplace interesting. So I did it there, and I just quickly I fell in love with it and um, came up here. Uh, I worked for about six to eight months um, doing grounds and maintenance here at the uh, zoo. 
and uh, one of the keepers left, and I was able to move into that position. And I've been here since uh, been full time animal care since 2000. Wow, that's really awesome. That's uh, that's a good long time. That's a long time. Yes. <laughs> that's very cool. So one of the animals that you take care of, and where we are standing right now, is uh, the main wolf. Yep. And we are hanging out with uh, with your main wolves right now, which is awesome. Um, so I feel like a lot of people don't know what Maine wolves are. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me just some basics about them? Yeah, um, they're called the Maine wolf, but they're not really, well, it's maned like a horse's mane. We say Maine wolves, and they think they mean, we mean Maine. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, with New England, no, not Maine. Maned like a horse, and they're not really a wolf. They're just a very large dog. They're in the canine family, so they are, uh, but wolves refer to the genus Canis, you know, Canis lupus, Canis rufus. Uh, these guys are in their own little group. It's Chrysasion brachiurus, which means golden dog with long legs, <laughs> which is when you see them, that's exactly what they are. It's a uh, reddish, uh, ruddy kind of color with uh, very long legs. They're uh, often also called foxes on stilts, <laughs> and they're not really related to foxes either, even though they smell a lot like foxes. They are their own uh, very distinct uh animal and they're the only one in their uh genus okay cool so why do they have such long legs what are the what how does that happen? yeah they live in um grasslands so uh one of the things that that helps with is they can get their ear well, their ears are located pretty much on the very top of their head almost they got big radar dish ears uh, that way it helps them kind of get their ears up above helps them move through the grass um you'll see them i've seen footage of them in the grasslands in south america where like they'll be um they almost look like dolphins kind of bounding through the sea, like they're just kind of like leaping through the grass. Um, yeah, just uh, to help them with their um, being able to hunt. They are solitary, so they're not, uh, they're solitary like a coyote or a fox. So they're not really great hunters. They um, don't take down any really big prey, mostly small stuff, birds, lizards, reptiles. They're also very cool that they're uh, here at the zoo. Their primary diet is mostly vegetable matter. Really? Yeah, they get a vegetable slurry, which is composed comprised of uh, cooked sweet potato, carrots, and banana, uh, and some greens in there for roughage. And we mix it with a uh, low-ingredient um, low dog food, okay. uh, which is sweet potato and chicken. And that's their main thing. They uh, they actually have a much lower protein intake than a lot of other canines would. Is that true in the wild as well? Yeah, in the wild, they um, through other uh, environment or whatnot, um, they um, they have very poor kidneys. Um, they get a lot of crystals and uh, kidney stones in the wild, and even in human care, we have to monitor them for that. Um, so they eat. I don't know if uh, they eat less protein because of that, or that kind of came about because they were getting less. Um, one of the things I do in the wild to uh, get around that is, is this plant down there called a wolf tomato. It's in the nightshade tomato family. And uh, their range is dictated by where that plant is. And they eat that. And that actually helps them kind of flesh out their kidneys. Oh, wow. That's really yeah. interesting. That's cool. Thank you for that information. I appreciate it. Um, so why are they called wolves if they're not wolves? I think just because it's a large dog. I think it's just uh, <laughs> yeah, everybody sees a big dog and they, th they you know call it a wolf. So, um I mean, there's like even they say uh, it's in the canine family in uh, Africa, the Ard Wolf, which is another right. large, larger canine, but it's definitely not a wolf. Right, right. I think just you know, just like the common term, just meaning like large wild dog. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. I um, I was actually um recently uh, I'm a backup foster for uh, some working dogs along mm -hmm. with my girlfriend, and um, we had a. Uh, a juvenile German shepherd with us mm -hmm. and a little girl looked at it and went mommy it's the big bad wolf so I, th I think that makes yeah. sense <laughs> um, 
Okay, so, you know, a lot of people know that the, the smell of a skunk, mm-hmm. but don't realize that that same, that skunky smell, or it kind of smells kind of like marijuana or whatever, yeah. um, it... Foxes also have that, and so do maned wolves. Yeah. Maned wolves really have it. Yeah, they, they reek. What um, is that, and where does that come from? That's just a oily secretion that they have all over them. Um, it just reeks. Um, I remember <laughs> when they were puppies, and we had to pick them up, and their urine really stinks like it, too. Um, when we had to pick them up to weigh them and everything, you just reek throughout the whole day. There have been a couple of times they have uh, big nest boxes inside the building, and every now and then they make a mess in there, and you have to kind of climb in and clean it. You come out, and you just you, you have to go home and take a shower immediately or hope that you don't have any social gatherings afterwards because you will be kicked out. <laughs> uh, yeah, they are just a smelly, smelly dog. I don't get the... Uh, yeah, everybody says that we've had people come by and think that there was someone, you know, smoking a joint nearby. Um but um, no, it's just them. It's just a very distinct odor. Um, a lot of people say either that or a skunk. They'll get to this area and they wonder where the skunk is. And we have gray foxes over there too, and they'll say the same thing right. over there. It's just that very potent, musky stink. Cool. Um, yeah. yeah, I just what what do you know any reason why that might like? What is the purpose of it? Do, uh, we, do we know? Does science? Know? I don't know the science behind okay. it. I know a lot of animals. It'll be it's good for. Uh, helping mark a territory, right. you know, like it stinks like them, especially I could see with the solitary guys, uh, because they wouldn't want like any other ones coming into their territory and potentially eating what food they have. So I can see that being a good way of marking the uh, area. Yeah. Uh, makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. Um, so tell me about the, the group here. And I know you said they're not pack animals. I, I'm, I'm so tempted to call it a pack because they're wolves. Yeah. But, so tell me about the individual animals you have here. I'd love to know names and also like, Introduce me to them. Tell me about okay. their personalities. Oh, okay. Well, we've got three of them. The one that's uh, walking around out here right now, that's Guapa. Uh, her brother, Goncalo, is in the back. And we have the other sister, Sabana, in another area of the zoo right now. Um, what happened was, they're, um, since they're from South America, below the uh, equator, uh, the seasons are reversed. So the mating seasons are reversed as opposed to they would be up here. So late fall, they started going into heat. Uh, we had to separate the brother out, obviously. And then um, the two girls were not getting along because, like, you got to figure at that point, they would really not want anyone else near them. Right. Um, and we've just been finding putting them back together is a slower process than we uh, thought it would be. But it's uh, going well between these two. Like, they they grumble when they get near each other, but um, they're not, you know, like, hostile. Um, Guapa is, uh, lack of a better term, she's a little sweetheart. She comes over. See, she's coming over right now. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, she's yeah, gorgeous. see what we're doing. Yeah, she's uh, uh, very nice. Uh, she's pretty little, too. She's only about, like, 55 pounds, I think. Uh, Goncalo's in the back. He is very big. He is the largest main wolf that I... We've only had a few different males here, and he's the biggest one. He's got a big old noggin on him. And he is kind of a lovable goofball. He likes to just... He will follow you around, too. Um, he always has like a very sad look on his face and it's not that he's worried or anything. It's just how his face looks. He's got big meaty brows. So it always looks like he's kind of furrowing. Them. Right. Uh, and people have said that they're like, you look sad. I'm like, no, he's just, that's just how he looks. Sabana, who is, uh, in the other location right now. Um, she's a little bit more skittish than the other one. She's not quite as friendly. Like, uh, if you're throwing food in, she'll come over, but she wouldn't come over to the, to the side and say hello. She's not aggressive, but she would just rather, um, 
be by herself. Uh, these two, Guapa and Goncalo, traditionally have gotten along the best out of them, and then um, Sabani usually just kind of hangs off and does her own thing. Cool. And they were all born here, right? They were all born here, yeah. They were, uh, the father, uh, I forgot which zoo he went to, um, but uh, yeah, they were born here. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I was at their, uh, as I was mentioning before we started, I yeah, was at the, their one-year birthday party. Yeah, I remember we gave them little uh, cupcakes down there on the yeah, rocks. I have here. the cutest picture of, of uh, yeah. one getting eaten right there. Yeah, I, I love that kind of connectivity that, that zoos can provide between mm. people and animals. You know, yeah. that was really cool. That was, it was also really neat with these guys going back to being uh, the pups, seeing that when they're born, they're kind of just the generic puppy shape, like the little, like, like round tube with the big belly and like little tiny <laughs> legs and little floppy ears and you just see as they grow they just hit a phase when suddenly the legs are getting longer the neck is getting longer the ears are pointing up so it was kind of neat to see them go from like you know like i said like the traditional little puppy shape to uh little juvenile main wolves that's really cool yeah and they, it was pretty neat too because they were they were very dark brown for a while and they seemed to turn red like almost overnight oh, it was wow. within a few weeks uh they shed out that uh coat and they had the nice uh red coat coming in under that that's awesome is yeah. it easy to uh tell the difference like just looking at them if we had all three long yeah dogs? if we had all three of them um sometimes i have to get a little bit close my eyes aren't as good as they used to be but uh for between sabana sabana and guapa uh, Sabana is a little bit larger, and just by the way that she acts, Goncalo is very distinct. He's got the, you know, much bigger, uh, broader head. Now here comes Guapa again. Yeah, Goncalo's been, uh, he's been liking laying down in the back during the days, so we don't, uh, we don't, we give them the option to go inside if they would like, so she usually stays out here, and then he just hangs out in the back. That makes sense. That's yeah. cool. Very, very cool. Oh, they're so gorgeous. Yeah. Every time Guapa walks by, I'm just like, girl, you earned that name. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So, um, do you have any uh, funny or touching or just any stories about your interactions with these guys or, or really any of the animals here? Um, oh, my gosh. That's, uh, there's a lot of them. I'm, uh, trying to think I, of I'm here for all of them, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in, in my mind, one of the things that I want to do with this podcast mm -hmm. is really make people connect to the individual animals at zoos. Yeah. Um, and so, honestly, like, you don't need to pick just one. Like, if you if you don't mind taking the time to share a couple, yeah. uh, the more you've got, the more I'm here for it. Uh, I got a good one from when these guys were born. Like, um, we had, uh, like I said, we have big nest boxes in there. And we suspected she was pregnant. We noticed that she looked like... It's kind of hard to tell. Like they don't, Most animals don't look like they're putting on a ton of weight. Sure. Especially the predatory animals, you know, because it being, you know, like having big, you know, wide belly is going to really impact you from being able to get food. Uh, so we suspected that she was uh, pregnant and we had the cameras in and everything. And uh, one day checking the camera, it was, uh, it was December 26th. It was the day after Christmas. I remember that. Um and we saw that she was giving birth. So we're, you know, you stay out of the building at that point, you know, let her do her thing. Um, you don't want to bother her. So we're in the kitchen of the rainforest building watching it on our phones. <laughs> and we see the father stick his head in. And we're kind of tense at that point because, you know, first time parents, you know, you want to make sure everything goes smoothly. Right. And there's no audio, but you can see on the camera that he was looking at the puppy and barking at it. But then it seemed like just like a, um, a light turned on and he realized what he was supposed to be doing. And he see he immediately started grabbing straw and very gently putting straw over the puppy to, uh, <laughs> you know, keep it warm. And he was a he was a great dad. It was he was the overly protective one. He would be the one that like, 
when the puppies were younger, we would go near the um, sides and they would come running over to us and he would come over and kind of like have a little bit of a growl and he would pick them up and walk away and put them someplace <laughs> else you know like he was uh he was a great dad oh i love that so much yeah he was uh, it was for, for first time parents they did a great job so what's the normal um cycle with with animals like that as far as um do, do the parents generally stay with the cubs for a while or yeah. they would stay with them for about a year year and a half um and then you could tell towards the end uh the mom was just wanting them to you know like go away um, but she was still feeding them for quite a while afterwards, not so much even um, uh, letting them like nurse, but she was definitely regurgitating food for them for a very long time. But it's about a year, year and a half, and then they'll start going off on their own. The fathers, um, I, uh, I, I'm not positive. Uh, I would have to look this up again. I'm pretty sure the fathers stay with them for a little while, but not all the time. No, that's really yeah. cool, though. That, so they regurgitate the food? Yeah, they regurgitate food, you know, like you they'll uh the parents will that's the easiest way to carry food and also like it kind of breaks it down a little bit right. you know you, there's no such thing as a uh, you know baby food in the wild for uh puppies and they may not be able to chew stuff but if you've chewed it up and kind of uh got the digestive process going you know and they'll come over and just spit it up for the babies and then they'll eat it interesting yeah. i'm actually kind of finding that to be more common than i thought it's kind of i think outside everybody of thinks the... it's birds yeah, yeah exactly they think birds yep. the big thing but yeah. a lot of animals actually uh do that a lot of predatory animals especially cool um so um were there any other stories you wanted to share anything or? Uh, trying to think of another cute one um <laughs> Just over the years, like, I mean, I've got so many memories from, like, you know, help raise some otters here, um, seeing various births, um, different, uh, you know... Uh, Basically what you're saying times, is you just yeah. really, really love what I really doing. love doing this. You have to, in order to work in a zoo professionally with animals, you have to really love it. It's like, it's, it's really hard work mentally and physically. People don't realize the mental aspect of it. It's, it could be very, uh, very draining... Uh, at times it could be very rough. It's rough on your body. It's like, I mean, you're in constant motion, um, moving heavy bags, uh, picking up, you know, it's got all the fun aspects of like animal care with like uh, a lot of landscaping involved in it. So, uh, a lot of physical labor, but you gotta, you gotta love what you're doing in order to do this, especially, you know, um, to keep everything up to the standards that, uh, you know, or, you know, or we're in the, we're part of, a AZA, so to keep everything up to the impeccable standards, it's a lot of work. So oh, you sure. have to love what you're doing. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Um, and then the last question that I like to ask, and <laughs> I, I will tell you in advance, I'll, I'll edit it out unless it's something really cute or funny, or we'll just skip it. It's not a problem. Okay. I do edit all of these. But um, I've noticed that a lot of keepers have funny stories that like relate to animals and something disgusting. Whether it's almost every one of them has turned into a poop story, but. Um, you know, just if you have anything silly like that, cool. If not, no worries. Oh God, yeah, disgusting. <laughs> like uh, our job is gross um, a lot. I'm trying to think of a good one. Okay, um, I did not realize that uh, opossums could launch musk from their anal gland until um, <laughs> we had one years ago when I first started working here in the farmyard and. I can't remember what it was. I think she had a nail that was cracked that we had to trim back. And she was pretty chill. Um, she was like uh, an abandoned uh, baby, so we pretty much hand, you know, raised her. And she just loved people, but um, like a lot of animals, they don't like being manually restrained. So I had to kind of uh, uh, scruff her to, you know, like hold her by the scruff of her neck and hold her foot out so they could uh, trim the nail really quick. And um, they're very wriggly 
Uh, a lot of animals you don't realize, like cats, ot otters especially, uh, they have very loose skin, so like they can kind of roll around in their own skin. Uh, and she was like wiggling, and I'm trying to hold on to her, and she just launched anal musk all over me. And then I find out later that like I didn't know this at the time that uh, the reason uh, when possums play dead, they kind of go into like almost like a coma, like a torpor almost. And I'm like, well, why would that stop an animal from eating them? You know, like a coyote is just going to go score, you know. Uh, before they do that, they soak themselves with this disgusting liquid that smells like it's been, uh, that smells like garbage that's been rotting in the sun for like a month. Amazing. It's just horrendous. And like, it was just, that's how I learned that. I was not <laughs> pleased. That smell kind of stuck with me for, for a good while. Um, yeah, you just work with animals. There's going to be something gross happens to you. Just I remember another time I was. Uh, we used to have a big uh, llama herd, and uh, the llamas didn't spit at you, but they spit at each other. And I walked directly in between two of them, and they spit at each other, <laughs> and I got hit in both sides of the face. And it's just little chunks of grain and corn, so it it's just smelly and it just it, it hurts. So that was yeah that was another day i'm just sitting there like oh, ah, you know scraping my face off to go thankfully now uh with the new building we have a shower back there now nice. we have showers in other buildings so like at the time we didn't have that that would have been really handy back then but <laughs> well but that's the kind of thing that shows just how much you truly do love these animals and what you do and yeah you I, put I up with that. two with uh two stomach fulls of uh llama <laughs> spit. yeah awesome well thank you so much for taking time to do this i really appreciate oh, it oh not a problem thank you yeah have a good one man. yeah you too i'm not going to lie after any in-person interview there's always a bit of an awkward pause until someone fills it by saying something in this case jt filled it the best way possible you want to see Goncarlo? he asked me Yes, yes I did. So JT took me back behind the maned wolf exhibit to the area he mentioned in the interview where Goncarlo was resting happily. He got really excited when JT came back, and when JT reached his fist gently to the fence, Goncarlo pushed his snoot right up to it. It was amazing. And perhaps more than anything else, that's what I hope all of you listening to this podcast are able to take away from it. The people who work at AZA-accredited institutions love what they do, and they love their animals. They form relationships with them, they care for them, they often spend more time with their animals than with their own pets or friends. Seeing these kinds of relationships is what led me to start this podcast to try to share them with all of you. While we were back behind the scenes, Guapa came back to check in on Goncarlo. She got up close, but Goncarlo vocalized to let her know he wasn't in the mood for companionship just then. JT made it a point to tell me that this behavior was actually a really positive interaction for the two animals. As reintroducing the three maned wolves to each other has taken longer than expected, it is actually seen as a positive when Goncarlo asserts his dominance. The fact that Guapa was willing to accept it and walked away, but without showing a sign of fear or discomfort, just goes to show that those two animals are starting to settle back into their normal relationship. One final story about the maned wolves. Two days after this interview, I was back at Beardsley Zoo. The interviews had taken so long that I didn't get much of a chance to try to take pictures for the Rossafari Instagram, so I went back. I made sure to spend a lot of time hanging out with Guapa, and while she was walking around her exhibit, a chipmunk decided to try to sneak past her. Welp, that didn't work, and the mighty hunter captured her prey. 
She then adorably pranced around while holding her trophy in her mouth for all to see. It was really, really cute. I made sure to let JT know, though, so he could take care of the situation. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rossafari, on the web at Rossafari.com, or email me directly at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.